AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Nobody is willing to step on the buy side of the wheat market, and prices today plunged to 14-month lows. Corn felt spillover pressure, and in the soy complex tug-of-war, bean oil futures won, and beans gave back early gains. Profit-taking was triggered in livestock futures after an early session advance. Live from the fully assembled starting broadcast lineup via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, it's a conversation with Darren Hudson from Texas Tech. Later, Kerry Artak from ArtakAdvisory.com. And right after the news, Jack Scoville from the Price Futures Group. I'm a handsome newsman, Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk. Shan is right. He'll never make the sleigh team. Chip Flory! <laughs> Welcome to AgriTalk. <laughs> and you, you, sir, you sound vaguely yes. familiar to me. I feel vaguely familiar. I feel vague, <laughs> anyway. Does general vagueness count? Welcome back, Davis Michelson. You know, Thank I you very get much. It. It's mm-hmm. the second hour, second hour, but some people don't get a chance to hear the first hour until later That's in the true. day. That's so true. I feel this urging from many listeners out there to yeah. give you a big old welcome back. Welcome I appreciate back. that. I appreciate yes. that. I was on honeymoon, Chip. I got married. I got married. I was on oh honeymoon. Oh my gosh, you just said it. I wondered if you were going to say it or not. I was going to say it. I was going to, and then, and then I, yes, yes. There it is, ladies dweem and gentlemen. Within a dream. Yes, yes. Yes, a newly wedded. Yes, Mr. That's right. Davis Michelson. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, mm-hmm. man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Outstanding. It's very it's exciting. Outstanding. It was a lovely, lovely ceremony. I don't know if you'd even call it a ceremony. You know, we kind yeah. of did our own thing type of yeah. deal and then we skirted off to uh a mansion that turned out not to be haunted and spent the okay. week there hanging out it was great Good. especially That's... the not haunted part i loved that part well, yeah yeah and just a really really kind of nice part of the world to hang indeed. out in. indeed indeed right right along the mighty shoulders of the big muddy it was terrific it was terrific that's too cool too cool good for you my friend and as i said uh, congratulations and nothing but years of happiness and joy coming your appreciate way. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, and uh, it's it's kind of hard to think about anything else right now. But let's go ahead and move on to the news. Well, Chip, export <laughs> inspections of wheat in the weekend of December one totaled a surprising three hundred thirty-five thousand metric tons that tops trade expectations. And puts total shipments back in line with USDA's export estimate for the year. Traders acknowledge a slowing pace of shipments from Ukraine compared with month ago, but most expect volume to increase this week. March SRW wheat futures fell to the lowest level since October 15, 2021, and chart watchers continue to warn of downside price risk to at least the $7 level chip. March HRW wheat futures were 29 cents lower at 8.41 and three quarters. March soft red wheat plunged at 22 cents, 739. March spring wheat closed at 902, down 19 and one quarter cents today, Chip. 
Yeah, it's not near as negative in the HRW or the spring wheat contracts, but that SRW contract just looks terrible on the charts. Mm. Uh, and look at the premium that the HRW is carrying to the SRW, more than a dollar, more than a dollar premium there. So uh, some of the crop conditions are still very much having an impact on HRW trade. Corn export inspections in the weekend of December 1 totaled just over 524,000 metric tons. That was in line with trade expectations. There is some optimism that China's relaxation of COVID restrictions could result in increased corn demand in the weeks ahead. However, Chip, China's new appetite for Brazilian corn is expected to be a wet blanket over prices for the near term. Friday's downside breakout from the sideways trading range and March futures generated follow-through selling today. March corn filled the August 23rd upside price gap, then bounced, but still closed near session lows. March corn futures were five and three quarter cents lower at 640 and one half. May corn down a nickel, 642 and one quarter. July corn futures closed at 639 and one half, down four and three quarter cents, Chip. I've talked to a few grain market analysts, corn market guys in particular, mm-hmm. that the number one thing on their radar right now is just how much corn China takes out of Brazil in the next, call it 60 days. That is going to determine their attitude toward the corn market. Soybean loadings in the weekend of December 1 of just over 1.7 million metric tons were in the middle of trade expectations, but inspections did little to support bean prices. Early in the session, beans followed soybean meal futures to the upside, but heavy selling in soybean oil dragged prices to the downside in afternoon trade. January beans opened a slightly higher and rallied to test psychological resistance of 1450 but fell back to close below the opening range and near session lows. January beans were three quarters of a cent lower, 14.37 and three quarters. March beans down a penny and a half, 14.45. July soybeans closed at 14.57 and three quarters, down three quarters of one cent chip. The downside momentum is not only building, it has been built in that bean oil market. And if beans are going to follow oil, it could get ugly. March cotton was 66 points higher at 83.86. On the livestock's feeder cattle futures were supported by continued losses in corn prices, but live cattle futures struggled to hold on to early gains driven by expectations of firm cash cattle bids this week. February live cattle failed again to close above resistance at 156. Feb cattle a nickel lower, 155.82 and a half. April steady, 159.57 and one half. And Jan feeders a buck 32 and a half higher, 183.77 and one half. And finally, February lean hog futures spiked resistance at the October 26 high of 9180, then fell back on profit taking Feb hogs a dime higher, all told, 9052 and one half chip. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's bring in Jack Scoville, Price Futures Group. Good afternoon, Jack. Hey, happy Monday to you. Yeah, happy Although Monday to you as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another Monday, another dive in the wheat market, buddy. It, it's becoming repetitive. Yeah, it has, and um, <coughs> I guess uh, I'm running out of reasons for why. But uh, you know, nobody needs U.S. wheat. That's the bottom line, and that that's uh, you know, even though we don't have a lot to distribute, nobody's uh, taking any of the distribution, and that that seems to be the big big root cause going on here. Yeah, and kind of the same thing going on in the oil. The meal and the oil have switched around places, and mm-hmm. meal is now making. Going to new contract highs and oil about ready to make new contract lows. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it is some of the craziest spread action that I can recall in the product markets, Jack. I just, it, you wonder how hard they're going to push that spread, and then the next day they come in and they, they hammer it even harder. And today the beans finally gave it up and, and started to follow oil to the downside. If that continues, man, it, this could get a little rough in here, huh? Yeah, it really could because beans have been the shining light of uh, the big grains here, you know, with corn kind of just kind of hanging sideways and giving it up now here over the last few days. And, boy, if beans start to take a tumble, this this could get real ugly real fast. Yeah, and, and like you said, the corn has broken out of the down uh, – broken through the downside of that sideways trading range. It, I don't feel real good about March corn until we get it into that $6 range anymore. No, I've kind of counted down and did a count. I can get down to uh, pretty close to six dollars. I can get down to about six ten or so. So okay, um, six thirteen, I guess, is my target to the downside okay. for my swing counts, and they haven't been the most reliable lately. But uh, yeah, I think everybody's kind of pinpointing six dollars for corn. Yep, yep, I think that's probably right. Jack, thanks, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, sounds great. All right. Jack Scoville, Price Futures Group, talking cotton next, Darren Hudson. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Hey girl, what's your name? It's so loud in here, I can't hear a thing. But I sure do like your stuff. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Okay. From time to time, we need to focus on what's going on in this cotton market. Number one, gives us an idea, a look into how some of the recessionary fears are playing in the ag markets. We're going to talk about that. And the the, the acreage decisions that are in play for 2023 crop are very important to what is going to be happening to the feed grain markets and what's going to be happening to the oilseed markets, the soybean market in particular. So we need to take a look at what's happening in cotton. And, boy, uh, it's good to get Darren Hudson back with us. Darren is uh, from Texas Tech University. He's the Combest Endowed Chair of Agricultural Competitiveness, and he's the director of the International Center for Agricultural Competitiveness. Darren, welcome back to AgriTalk. It's good to talk with you again. Thanks for having me back on, Chip. I appreciate it. You bet. Glad that you are here. 
Darren, start us with the old crop market, okay, uh, this 22 crop market, because this was one of the most volatile, crazy, just, yeah, wild mm. markets that I can ever remember. What what caused it all? Well, I will be doing a postmortem on that for a while. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I joke and said that uh, – I don't think Six Flags could have uh, created a more nauseating roller coaster. Um, it it was insane. Um, you know, I think part of it, uh, th there was a good bit of, uh, oh, you know, I guess speculation about where yeah. where we were in terms of, um, you know, having a short crop. And and we did. I mean, you know, the, the, the crop was, was short, a lot of drought out here. Um, you had a lot of traders uh, buying up. Um, you know, then we sort of hit that that July point, and um, and for whatever reason, and uh, you know, it's, again, still people trying to figure it out. It's like it's like you know, overnight you'd wake up in the morning, and you know, the European algorithms would have been hitting the sell button all night long, mm -hmm. and uh, and then the American market sort of piled on, and you get these huge you know limit down days, and they chase that and chase that and chase that, and. Um, so I think, it, you know, then we got to the point where it was, it was way oversold and people realized um, that there was just no way, um, mm -hmm. you know, people were going to have to cover. Um, and so we rode that back up for a bit and then back down and we've, you know, sort of been sideways a bit, um, you know, recovered a little bit after uh, sort of the end of November, but it, it's still, uh, you know, not, not where we were and not where at least some people think yeah. we ought to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in some of the, the talks that I've done here in the last few months, it, I've, I've kind of started off with the idea that, boy, the story that the December 2022 corn contract can can tell, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it will have to be included or get get its own chapter in, in ag economic books in the future, because it was on the books before COVID hit. And here it is now after everything that it's gone through. Well, the same can be said about cotton. And, Darren, because of cotton's sensitivity to the manufacturing and, and, and mill industry in China, it, it may be an even more miraculous story to tell from from this D's cotton or this cotton uh, D's 22 chart. Yeah, I mean, it. it... <laughs> It's sort of wild. Of course, you know, there's there's a delay between, you know, the, the delivery of a bale of cotton and your your uh, your shirt or your pants mm -hmm. at the end of that process. Um, and, you know, the zero COVID policy, I think, in part, drove some of the action, at least the, the downward action in the cotton market this year, as people sort of anticipated, well, you know, China's shutting down, uh, you know, what's going to happen to apparel? Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is it, it, the, the apparel market held up pretty well in the U.S. Um, it held up pretty well outside of China in Asia, but it tanked in Europe and in China. And, and so, yeah. you know, you sort of had this mixed bag. And I think that spent a, a lot of time people just trying to figure out what the heck was happening, you know, to, yeah. to the movement of cotton around the world. It just it just didn't make a, a lot of sense to to. Uh, you know, traditional marketers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in, now, if you think this is an unfair question to ask at this time, just say so and we'll move on. Mm. But but the question is, so what do you think will be 
the lesson most important to learn from the 22 crop cotton market? Well, I'm, yeah, it's, I think we're going to learn some things, but th there, there are a couple of lessons I think that are pretty important when you think about the, the market behavior. One of them um, is, um, you know, the, the traders were very, very sensitive to every piece of news that came out. Yeah. Um, the, the other side of that too, is that unlike corn, um, cotton is, n is not a particularly liquid market. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of contracts traded, but certainly, you know, a hedge fund comes in with, you know, a couple hundred million dollars in a buy and, you know, you're limited up for two days it, it, as opposed yeah. to corn where people kind of shrug and go, Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. and so I think there's, you know, the liquidity issues and, and how these people move around in this market, I think are, are part of that lesson. But I, I think also part of that lesson too is, um, you know, just how global cotton is, um, you know, yeah. it's a U.S. market, you know, we, we grow a big chunk, but, but India and China, both are larger producers than the U.S. And so, um, you know, we, 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 we've got to be cognizant of what's happening in Pakistan and India as much as we are what's happening, you know, in the cotton belt in the U.S. Right. Right. Um, the, we keep talking about demand destruction in the environment that we're dealing with high prices, at least for a period of time. And in and, and cotton, it feels like cotton prices were high enough to, to shut off some demand. Corn prices high enough for a long enough period of time to shut down some demand or to at least to shift it. Mm -hmm. have, and there's a difference there that I think is important because I think on corn, we have shifted demand from U.S. to South America. In right. cotton, did we just destroy demand? Uh, you know, there, there's always a lot of talk about that. Um, and, and and that may very well be the case. You know, the interesting thing is when when we were, uh, you know, north of a dollar and, um, you know, we had record shipments going out um, yeah. from the U.S. And and so, it, you know, uh, I, I think there's there's a much longer pipeline there. Um, and so there's a lot of variables at play in that long pipeline that influence sort of that raw cotton demand in in a way different than it does um, commodities like corn. Just the length of time, the length of that pipeline, you have to backfill, you got to you got seasonality and orders, you know, there's a whole bunch of these things that are going on as as companies shift from summer apparel to winter apparel and, you know, all that kind of uh, th that stuff and the role that inflation plays in that, I think what makes it a bit different in cotton and why it's maybe dangerous to call it demand destruction is the sense that inflation probably it, because cotton's a semi-durable good. I mean, I, you know, if I don't have to have a pair of jeans this week, I, I can put off that purchase, you know, two or three right. months. Um, and so people can sort of buy and hold there for a while and eventually that pent up demand. And that's one of the things that um, sort of stimulated the latest run up in cotton prices was thinking about if China was going to actually begin opening up, um, you know, there's a there's a big chunk of potential pent up demand in China itself for apparel um, that that may you know spur some, you know, some uh, panic buying in the cotton market to try to secure those supplies. But yeah, I think the length of that supply chain and the fact that it's a semi-durable good makes it a little bit more difficult to talk about demand destruction. But, you know, 
if you're going to persist at well above dollar pound cotton, you, yeah, you're going to get some shift to polyester um, yeah. away from cotton uh, that, that that's going to happen. And once that happens, it takes a while to get it back. Yeah. Yeah. The energy markets, I was just going to say before we get to the break, we've also got to watch what's going on in these energy markets because of the competitive textiles that are that are out there, the competitive cloth uh, right. in, in the marketplace. So, yeah, it's it's obviously something that we need to watch any and when you add that to it it helps explain some of the craziness that we went through in cotton right yeah i mean you know it's uh uh polyester is not a direct link to oil but yep. as oil prices drop gasoline refining goes up and that produces the byproducts that go into polyester and um and so certainly is that you know, as that oil prices come down and gasoline consumption has gone up, refining has gone up, you know, it's flooding that market with those derivatives of polyester. And it, that certainly has shaken the market in a, in a way different than, say, just general consumption has. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. When we come back, Darren, uh, I want to talk just the basic S&Ds of these markets. And then let's get into 2023, the crop decisions and what, what the impact on acreage might be. Darren Hudson. Texas Tech, right here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time now for news of note from ProFarmer. China is set to announce it will further ease some of the world's toughest COVID curbs as early as Wednesday. A new set of nationwide rules are due to be announced soon. World Weather Inc. says Argentina's weather will remain stressful for crops this week amid limited rain and warm to hot temperatures. Brazil's soybean planting reached 91% complete as of last Thursday, according to AgroRail. That's slightly behind last year's pace. The European Union and UK barred inbound shipments of Russian crude Monday. In tandem, the European Union, United States and allies placed curbs on shipping, insuring and funding Russian crude anywhere in the world. Meanwhile, OPEC Plus will keep output steady, but it will cut it by 2 million barrels per day as agreed to in October. And in Washington, lawmakers are in a rush to get things done before adjourning. News of note is taken from the pages of ProFarmer. Go to tryprofarmer.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Not saying Welcome a word. back to AgriTalk. 
I'm not saying a word or a number. That's good. That's good. You've turned over a new understanding of of what it is to bring clarity to a phone number. I wouldn't say I that's appreciate the case. That. I wouldn't say that's I, the case. I was just I've got a tickle in my throat. I don't want to overuse my voice at the moment. 5524. That's Very, not the way I would have put it. I know. I, I know. That, and, and but and that's okay. That's okay. We don't really need to hear that right now because you can also send us a a, a tweet just include uh-huh. hashtag #agritalk or you can send us an email, host at agritalk.com. We're in the middle of a conversation with today's guest analyst, Darren Hudson from Texas Tech. Uh, before we get back to Darren Davis, go ahead. And Darren Davis, he used to be a running back at Iowa State. Did oh, you know he that? did? No, yes. I don't follow soccer. He That was Troy's That was Troy's brother. This, I mean, we're going back a ways, but, boy, that triggered the memory real quick there. Anyway. Okay. So you saw Davis, a shiny thing, would. didn't you? That's what yeah, you did. Yeah, did. You saw a shiny <laughs> go thing. Ahead. Squirrel. Go ahead. <laughs> March HRW wheat futures twenty nine cents lower today. Eight forty one and three quarters. March soft red down twenty two cents. Seven thirty nine. March corn futures were five and three quarters cents lower. Six forty and one half. July corn futures closed at six thirty nine and one half. Down four and three quarters cents today. January soybeans three quarters of a cent lower, fourteen thirty-seven and three quarters. July beans closed at fourteen fifty-seven and three quarter, down three quarters of one cent. March cotton was sixty-six points higher at eighty-three eighty-six. On the livestock side, February fat cattle were a nickel lower, one fifty-five eighty-two and one half. January feeders a buck thirty-two and a half higher, one eighty-three seventy-seven and one half. And February lean hogs up a dime, ninety fifty-two and one half chip. That's your quick market recap. Back to you. All right, thank you very much, Davis. We are in the middle of a conversation with Darren Hudson. Darren is the Combest Endowed Chair of Agricultural Competitiveness and Director of the International Center for Agricultural Competitiveness at Texas Tech University. We're talking cotton. Um, so let's get into the, the S and D's and, and what to expect ahead of Friday's supply and demand report from USDA. Darren, do you feel like we have settled in on the size of the 2022 U S cotton crop, or is there still some, some discovery to take place here? Well, I, you know, USDA probably settled in on it. I don't think the trade has, uh, the, uh, you know, the I think USDA sort of over adjusted southward this summer, you know, that big three million bell drop. Right. Um, and then I think they went back probably too high. Um, I, I think when we get to the end, we're going to adjust down on, on the size. I mean, I don't I don't think we're going to see a 14 in front of whatever we end up with. It's, uh, you know, it they're they're. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, quality over quantity in terms of the, you know, the acres that are left in Texas. You know, there's good cotton out here, but, um, you know, there's a lot of, I think, um, uh, crop insurance adjustments that haven't hit the FSA yet. And so basically they're not, they're not, they're not out in front of of the late minute, the, you know, the last minute abandonments when those guys went out there and it, you know it's 100 pounds and the insurance companies just said I'll oh, just plow it under, you know. Um, right. And so I think there's going to be some downward revisions from where we're at. I don't know how much, but um, 
you know, the number I've I've been working with is 13.2 million bales. If we ended up at 13.6, you know, uh, that that wouldn't surprise me. But if you look at classings, um, you know, as we move through this crop, um, we're going to have to we're going to have to hit it pretty hard to to make that 14 million bale plus uh, that that NAS has been been talking about. Yeah. So I, I just think we're we're not there yet. Um, and, and you know, I do think what's going to happen on the S and D sheet is that um, that's got to come out of ending stocks. I just don't I don't think that we're going to. Um, I think we're going to export what, what USDA said, but I just don't think we're going to get there on the on the production number. Okay, um, it it sounds like most of that uh, of most of those bales are coming out of harvested acres, not so much out of yield. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that that's basically where I think it's coming okay. from. Yeah, okay, yeah, and you know it's hard for people to understand that if you take a hundred a uh, hundred pound acre and plow it under. Well, that yield no longer counts because it's not a harvested acre, right? Right. It, 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 that, exactly. Yeah, it's hard for some people to under, understand, understand that. Understand. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. People. So, people um, always get co confused. They see the, the they see the yield go up. Yeah. Uh, and the production number go down, and like, what's happening? Uh, well, right. that's because the what's left is yielding. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then your comment about the export side of things, man, I hope you're right on that, because here we stand at 12.5 million bales for the export estimate from USDA. Um, you go back two years ago, that was like 16 and a half. A year ago is 14 and a half. And here we are at 12 and a half on the estimate. Um, I'd like to it, it, think that we could hold right in here. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, people will point to like recent um, export sales reports and say, well, it's down, you know, it's it, we're not going to make it. But there's a there's a good bit of seasonality. We, we get shipments that that come out of the early sales early in the season that kind of flattens out um, mm -hmm. and then it picks back up in the spring um, as more shipments come out. And so, you know, I've, I like I like I say, I hope we're we, we do that. Um you know, it, there, I've, I've seen people talk about us running out of cotton, which, of course, isn't going to happen. But uh, yeah. but we're certainly going to strain it uh, in terms of the ending stocks. I think we're we're going to be very, very on the low end of of yeah. you know, current estimates on the on those stocks. Yeah. And that's that's one thing that I think we need to remember as we turn our attention to the 23 crop on the three million bales on the supply side uh, for a cushion in beginning stocks. That's a pretty thin cushion to to have in place going into a new crop year, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the the last oh, you know, five or seven years, we we bounced around that you know that three to four million bale um, mm -hmm. ending stocks number because most of that's hitting the ship and and ending up in a warehouse in Saigon or or someplace someplace like that. Mm -hmm. But um, you know that that's still a very low number. Um, when, when you, if you start having a tight supply, new production number, who, you know, and yeah. that's in a, in part, that's what was happening in the summer. Uh, but, but we, uh, I think we're, we're going to end up, um, probably somewhere South of, of 3 million bales, the 2.8 million bales number. And that's, that's probably, uh, the, the, the absolute bare minimum we can have and carry over and, and not see an explosion in price. Okay. 
All right, so the impact that that has on 23 crop decisions, we've got Dees 23 futures just under 80 cents now. Is there – there's not much incentive there for guys to stick cotton in the ground, is there? Nope, not at all. And, um, you know, uh, I, I just came back from congressional budget office meetings, and, you know, we were bouncing numbers around amongst us and. You know, if you look at the cotton, uh, uh, the corn cotton ratio uh, right now, um, we're, we're, we're out there close to that 09 number when we planted about 9.2 million acres um, in cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the at the price ratios, they've come come back a little bit. I mean, cotton, you know, has caught back up with corn a little bit. Um, I, you know, my sort of back of the envelope number says about 10.2 million acres, but we, you know, anywhere from nine, five to, to 10, five, probably with a bias somewhere around 10 million acres is where we're at with the current ratio. Um, and you know, if you're not, if you're not above 80, uh, and really talking more like 85, uh, when we hit February in the insurance discovery period, uh, you know, there's a lot of banks that are going to shy away from loaning money on cotton because it's just not going to pay. Um, so right. I think for 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 a big chunk of what we're at right now, there, there's just no incentive uh, for most of the country to be that excited about planting cotton unless they just have sort of a physical reason to do it. Right. Right. So uh, year year ago, we planted like 13.8, which was up from mm-hmm. 11.2 uh, in 2021, 22. And 12.1 million acres in the 2020-21 marketing year, so we we got all the way up to 13.8 million acres. But we're also looking at the smallest harvested acreage number in the last couple of years because of the drought. I mean that mm-hmm. we we haven't done anything to fix the drought in a significant way, have we, Darren? Well, I mean we we are better off than we have been. Um, and, you know, it, we've had some moisture. Uh, if you look at the, you know, the El Nino forecast, um, there's a pretty strong bias towards neutrality or even a, a slight El Nino in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we may get some moisture out of the deal. Um, you know, it's not going to like fix the long term drought, but it certainly will put some right. moisture in the soil. And that that'll help some. But even then, I mean, you know, uh, just back of the envelope estimates again, looking at stuff uh, in the last yeah. couple of days, we're, you know, we're still looking at, at that level of, of El Nino and where we're at, you know, probably somewhere still on a national average of around 18 to 20% abandonment. Um, and of course we are 40, 40 something plus yeah. national abandonment this year, but about that, that 20 still above the long-term average. So, um, you know, e- even in, when you're planting 10 million acres, if you're abandoning 20% of them, you're, yep. you're pure, you're out at 8 million acres, and that's not going to produce a, a huge crop. That's right. That's right. All right, Darren, this gives us a lot to think about. Thank you so much for making time for us, man. Appreciate you. Thanks. I appreciate you All right, that is, You bet. That's Darren Hudson from Texas Tech. Davis and I will be right back. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. In the morning, you're coughing up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. You know, Davis, I think some yes, of the Chip. listeners were oneedering exactly what you were doing last week. I'm glad that you cleared it up for everyone. For those that missed it, Davis announced... At the start of the show, that yes, he uh, he is a newly wedded individual. Sorry, ladies. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, how is Mrs. Hanson handsome taking it? I mean, <laughs> is everything good? She hasn't stopped crying. I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. I, I, at first, I assumed it was tears of joy. Uh, I don't know. But when it goes on for more than a day, you start yeah, to wonder, makes, don't you? Makes a guy wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> She's lovely. She's lovely. Yes. My that's dream great. girl is mine. Yes. Good deal. That's awesome. All right. Let's bring in Carrie Artek, Artek Advisory. Good afternoon, Carrie. Good afternoon, Chip. Hey, congratulations, Davis. Thanks, Carrie. Yeah, yeah, man. Sounds great. You bet. You bet. Uh, yeah, well, we're all hoping that it turns out for her like like it should. <laughs> I got the yeah. better end of the deal, I can tell you that. <laughs> all right, Carrie. Uh, don't forget, everyone, uh, go to Artac Advisory. That's A-R-T-A-C advisory.com. Get signed up for the free trial there. Two weeks of uh, daily information coming from Carrie. Kerry, go ahead and get us started with March corn. What do you got? Yeah, March corn, about a month ago, had a sell signal. Uh, it was a three to five week sell signal. It remains intact this week below 668 and three quarter. We settled today 640 half, well below that area. And we are well on our way to reaching our objective, a range of support between 608 half and 615 even that can contain selling really through the balance of March contract life. In other words, into next spring, it is a long-term channel top on the weekly chart, able to contain longer-term selling pressures. And from there, we can recover nicely as we move into spring, summer of next year. But if we were, and I don't see this happening, but if we were to close any week below that 608 half level, we enter another significant uh, phase of longer term selling, whereby I would expect 532 even over the following three to five months. And that is fully able to contain annual selling pressures. I don't expect to see it, 
unless we close below 608.5 at the end of any week. Upside 668 and three quarter, that near term ceiling. If we close back above it, it completely neutralizes the sell signal we had about a month ago. And with that, I think 715.5 would be in reach by the end of January, where the March contract can top out into expiration. I'm going to say a quick word about March uh, Chicago Board of Trade wheat. It posted a tentative big picture sell signal today. And if we settle Friday below 757 even, it enters a longer term phase of selling where I would expect 580 even over the next three to five months where we could bottom out into next summer. But if we can close Friday above 757 even March wheat, then we can actually rally up to 945 even as we move into February, March activity, where I would expect the March contract to top out into its expiration. On to February live cattle. I've had a 158.22 target now for about three or four weeks. And uh, that level, we, we closed today, by the way, at 155.82. So we actually may reach that here over the next week or so. 158.22 can contain buying into February expiration. And from there, we can, we can uh, roll off and uh, head south as we move into January trade. The trigger for that to the downside would be 152.87. That's a meaningful support area, can contain weekly selling pressures, and in fact, above which that 158.22 long-term resistance remains a two- to three-week target. If we close this week below 152.87, that actually pivots the market south through December. I would then expect 148.60 to 150.60, a solid two-point range of long-term support for the February contract, able to contain selling into its expiration. One final thing I'll say about February live cattle is if we settle above 158.22, that long-term ceiling, then we've got longer-term bullish continuation into later February contract life, 164 even, then I would anticipate within about two to three months of closing above 158.22. And finally, I'm going to update you on uh, lean hogs, February lean hogs. I'd mentioned last week how 8360 was meaningful support. We tested it and came off of it significantly. In fact, we came off of it so significantly, we're now testing long-term resistance. Last week's show, I mentioned 93.35. It's a descending channel top that this week is at 92.20, and we had a 91.90 high. So we've already come off of long-term resistance. 92.20 can contain buying not only through the rest of the year, but into later winter. And in fact, we could fall all the way back into the mid-70s again over the next few months, holding below 92.20. The trigger for that would be a settlement at the end of the week below 84.02. And then I'm looking for 73.10 to 76.90 within as little as three to five weeks where the broader lean hog market can bottom out into next summer. Now, upside, if we can get up and over 92.20, in other words, close above it on Friday, then we enter another meaningful buy phase, two to three months upside objective, then 103.12, where we can top out then through next spring. All these levels, by the way, I want to mention, Chip, are moving targets. They're based on moving yep. line studies. It's so I just wanted to encourage people to, you know, take advantage of that two-week free trial so they can see some of these numbers move through times because what's true today is not really true next week because these, these levels move on a gradual basis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what doesn't move on a gradual basis is the lane hog market because last week, right? last week from the Wednesday open to the Friday close, February hogs rallied six dollars and seventy cents. I mean mm -hmm. that 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 market did thirty days of work in three days, Carrie. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it's just uh, kind of phenomenal, and it make you know it makes sense though when I hear you talk about your longer term channel resistance levels, not that far above where we got to in the market today. 
right. it, from there, you just kind of follow that trend line down. It, it that's right. Yeah, it makes a it makes a lot of sense in how this this hog market's been trading. Good stuff, Thank buddy. You, Thanks, sir. man. You have a great All week. Right. Talk to you soon. You too. You too. That's Kerry Artak. Real quick, National Weather Service six to ten day outlook. This is for December eleventh through the fifteenth. Above normal temperatures expected. Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri points to the south and east of that. Near normal temperatures in the western Corn Belt. Below normal once we get you get out into western Nebraska, western South Dakota. On the precipitation outlook, above normal precipitation expected over a lot of the country. Bullseye being on southern Wisconsin, northern Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. But, boy, most of the Midwest is looking at above normal precipitation next week. Okay, hey, thank you so much for listening today. Tomorrow morning we've got Senators John Bozeman from Arkansas, Joni Ertz from Iowa right here on Agritech.